0: Well, um, before we go to page 10 in the booklets, on uh, I think page 1 or 2, there's a couple of little resources I wanted to point you to on the topic of guidance. Um, And you can see there three excellent books. The bottom one there, that's just for nerds. Don't worry about that one. But this one here, Guidance and the Voice of God, I reckon it would be great if every Christian would read this book. It's clear. It's straightforward. It's... 160 pages with fairly big writing, not, not, a, not a long book, and it's very wise. But if 160 is too long for you, this one's only 140 pages, and it's smaller pages, so well, 120 pages. This is called Just Do Something, and it's, uh, it's an easier read. Uh, not as much practical wisdom, but a, but a very good book as well. But if you're more of an audio learner, you're more of a podcaster, an audio book person, you might want to write down Greg Lee, Hunter Bible or Greg Lee Wintercon guidance. And in 2004, he, he preached a series that was so good that I emailed him and I said, "Can I have those talks?" And he gave them to me. And so I've summarised them and, and um, reworked them a little bit. But that's lots of what I'm giving you. So if you think anything in these talks are good, you can thank Greg Lee next time you see him. But but I wanted to point that out to you. If you want to hear it in more depth, because he's gone five one and a half hour talks. I've condensed them down. So if you want to hear uh, more, Greg Lee, WinterCon uh, 2004 guidance. You can, you can podcast that on your way home or whatever. Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a good God, a speaking God. That You want us to do your will and you teach us how to do that. So please, in this time, give us clear minds, give us soft hearts. And show us how we might find your will, that we can do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Murray has a problem. He's a Christian fella, and he's the absolute pick of his church. He's young, he's handsome, he's sensitive, he's sporty. Best of all, he's godly. But Murray has a problem. You see, there are two girls that Murray likes. Molly and Mary. And both Molly and Mary like Murray. Both of them are great girls. They're they're mesmerising. They're mature. They're real marriage material. Murray likes them both. And so which maiden should Murray marry? As a Christian, Murray wonders what God wants. And that led to a bigger question. How can Murray work out what God's will is in the first place? And so Murray decided to ask his Bible study leader, Morris... And Morris said, well, Murray, you start with the Bible, because the Bible gives good general direction, the broad stuff, how to be saved, how to be godly, God's really big plans, you start with the Bible. But for the specific stuff, God uses something else, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us individually in the details. And the first way that Morris said that the Holy Spirit guides us is through the inner voice. It's not so much a clear voice as a, as a leading. Thoughts God will send you in the direct, to nudge you in the direction you should go. You'll have this strong Mary-ish urge. This sense that Mary is the one. Now to hear, your, your, hear this voice, you might have to really clear your mind and really listen. And then Morris says when you're going in God's direction... You'll often feel a peace. When you decide to marry Mary, God will confirm it by giving you a tremendous peace. But if you choose Molly, then the night before the wedding, you'll be very uneasy. You'll be anxious. You'll be troubled. Now, if you're still not sure, Morris says, you can look for the doors that God opens and closes. Let's say you you message Mary to ask her out on a Friday night, but her phone is on Do Not Disturb. She doesn't reply. You try Molly, she's got her phone on her, she answers straight away. God's opening that door, she's the one, God wants you to go with Molly. Morris says, you know, one other thing you can do, you can use a fleece. A fleece, like Gideon does in Judges chapter 6. Gideon wanted confirmation about something God had told him. And so he asked God overnight, wet this piece of wool with some dew. But keep the, the ground underneath it dry as a sign. And so you might say to, to God, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text Molly and Mary... And uh, if, if Molly hearts the message, that's the one. But if I just get a thumbs up, I'll oh, no, that's, that's, a, that's a no. <laughs> well, well, Murray says, um, okay, that makes sense. But what if the signs contradict each other? Well, that's easy, said Morris. You just add them up. Whoever's got the most points, they win. <laughs> well, it all materialized magnificently. They had three kids, Maria, Marley, and Frank. And they lived, happily ever after, in Manly. Now, that, what I've just given you there, that's pretty much the popular view of how God guides today, the Bible. It's good for the, the, the general stuff. But for the specifics, God speaks through the Holy Spirit, through inner voices and peace and doors and dreams and fleeces. And I wonder if you've ever wondered Does it really have to be so hard? Does it really have to be so confusing? Well, this afternoon, well, this evening, we'll see problems with that approach. And by the end of this session, we will have a foolproof method for knowing God's guidance in every situation in life. How's that for a promise? We will have a foolproof method for knowing God's guidance in every situation. You ready for this? Did I pray already? Let's get into it. Now, just so you know, we're going to have a break Kind of halfway through this. So if you're looking through the notes, we're going to have a break. So, all right, here you go. The first step is actually just to remind you what we saw this morning. Number one, God guides us invisibly. We're on page 10. God guides us invisibly through his control over everything behind the scenes. And so, you know what? You can know God's will for your life infallibly after he's done it. Do you want to know who God wanted you to marry? You can have absolute certainty. If you are married, whoever it is you've married, that's who God wants you to be with. Now, that means that after you're married, point of application, you don't constantly look around at other options, wondering, maybe I was really supposed to be with someone else. (laughs) Sorry, Clem. (laughs) He was joking. He was like, damn it. Well, I've really embarrassed you now, haven't I? (laughs) You don't, you don't constantly think, man, what if I married God's second best? No, no, no. Once you're married, you know this was God's will because it's happened. And so now his will for you is to keep your vows and to love them. There's the first way that God guides through his invisible guidance. He, he sovereignly controls all the circumstances to bring about his will for our lives. But as we saw this morning, we actually do still make real choices with real consequences. And and this doesn't take away our responsibility. You know, we can't say, oh, well, why bother making decisions? If no matter what, it's just going to be God's will. No. The Bible says we are responsible for our behaviour. You still make real decisions with real consequences. And so look at um, Acts chapter 4, verse 27 there, on page 10. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You see, all these guys, they, they made real decisions to kill Jesus, and can you think of a worse decision to make? But do you see that it says they did, they chose. But do you see it also says they chose to do what God had already decided beforehand would happen? You see, Imagine if Pastor Dom was to pick his nose right now. Is he here? Is he putting the kid to bed? There he is. Now, Dom would be choosing to pick his nose. But God would be also choosing. God's not choosing it because Dom chose it. Dom chose it because God already chose it. And yet God works in a way that it doesn't take away Dom's actual choice. Dom does it, sorry, God does it through Dom actually making a real choice. You're feeling a little itchy, aren't you? <laughs> Do you understand? Uh, one word for this is compatibilism on the bottom of page 10 there. See, on either side, there's a mistake. On the left-hand side, one mistake you can make is called determinism or fatalism. You can cross that one out. That's wrong fatalism says my decisions don't matter I'm just a puppet well that's not what the Bible says Pilate was not a puppet when he killed Jesus he made a real choice but the other mistake you can make is to think that God has no say he's just watching hoping that you make a good decision we've seen that that's not what the Bible says compatibilism says that my will and God's will are both real both active they're not active in the same way. I'm really choosing what God chose for me to choose, but I am really choosing it. Now, this is mind-blowing. We struggle to think about this because our picture of God often is far too small. We often think of God as just a, big, uh, a bigger version of us. See, the only way I could get Dom to pick his nose would be if I was to take away his choice in the matter. I'd have to grab his hand and really go for it, you know? But God, he's far higher than us. In fact, he's a different type of being altogether. He's so powerful that he can guide every detail of the world, even while we still make real decisions. And so do you know what that means? This means two things are true. Number one, you can have comfort, knowing that God's plan can't be thwarted. That's what we saw this morning. But secondly, you have responsibility. The responsibility to make real decisions with real consequences. In fact, I think the opportunity. It's exciting, isn't it? You get to partner with God as he achieves his purposes. But that responsibility means we really do need God's visible guidance. How does God tell us what decision he wants us to make? In the 80s, there was a movie called The Man With Two Brains. Has anyone seen it? Is anyone alive in the 80s? (laughs) The Man With Two Brains. In this movie, there's this man, um, the, the actor Steve Martin, his character, walks up to a painting of his dead wife to ask if there's anything wrong with his feelings he's starting to have for another woman. He says, How do you feel about that? He asks the painting of his wife who's passed away, and the whole house starts to shake. And the painting starts spinning on the wall. And he's looking at the, this painting, he says, You know, just like any kind of sign. There's this wailing voice, no, no. <laughs> All right, well, I'll look out for it. And he takes the painting down off the wall and puts it in a closet. That, that can be like us. Sometimes we don't actually want guidance. Like that character in that movie, we've, we've already decided what it is we want to do. And so we ask for, let's say we ask our Christian friends for advice. But you don't actually want advice, you want approval and if that person doesn't give you the answer you want you go to someone else someone else until finally someone tells you what you want to hear and we can even be a bit like that with God like that man in front of that painting God tell me what to do and then we just go and I think you really would want me to be with her wouldn't you that's, that's, you'd want me to be happy wouldn't it be great if God would just make himself as crystal clear to us, as, he, he, as that character gets in that mi- movie from the, the painting, if God gave us really obvious signs, a shaking house when we were going to make a bad decision, a wailing voice, and you'd always know exactly what God wanted. Well, what if I was to tell you that God actually has made himself that clear, in fact clearer? We, we can be like Steve Martin's character, looking for guidance and missing the things that are right in front of us. So the great news is that God does speak to us. Turn over the page. Top of page 11, you've got three columns there. As well as God's invisible guidance, what we saw this morning, you could call that God's sovereign will, his will of decree. As well as that, God also gives us his visible guidance. And you could call that his moral will or his will of desire. Desire. And we'll come back to the question of whether that third category exists. Does God have a special personal guidance for me as well? So how does this visible guidance work? How does God guide us? Well, point number two, God speaks. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, in the past God spoke. Now, he didn't have to do this. Have you ever thought about this? No one forced God to speak. But God is a speaking God. Because, why is God a speaking God? Because He's a relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And I don't know if you've noticed this in the Bible, but whenever God relates to His creation in the Bible, what does He do? He speaks. Genesis chapter 1, God created the world, and God said, That's how He created. When God created the nation Israel, He did it by speaking promises. At Mount Sinai, he spoke laws. In fact, he literally wrote on the tablets of stone with his fingers. God is a speaking God. And in fact, throughout Israel's history, point three, God can speak and has spoken in lots of different ways. This is a non-rhetorical question. What ways can you think of that God has spoken throughout Israel's history? What ways can you think of? Non-rhetorical means I want answers prophets, through a donkey very good fire. gives me hope yeah fire audible voice. an audible voice when was that ah gotcha <laughs> yes yes yeah any more burning bush burning bush Pillar of cloud. Pillar of fire. Hand writing on the wall. But just because God did speak in those ways in the past doesn't mean that God will speak in those ways again. This is a mistake that we often make. Oftentimes we can assume that because God has done it, he'll do it again. But here's the thing, we don't don't have a promise of that. So... Numbers 22, as was mentioned, God speaks through the mouth of a donkey. Does that mean that everywhere I go, I should take a donkey, just in case that God would want to guide me through the donkey? No, 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 just because God has guided through a donkey doesn't mean he'll do it that way in the future. He hasn't promised to. So how does God promise to speak to us now? Well, bottom of page 11, now God speaks to us through Jesus. So you have a look at Hebrews chapter 1, I'll read the rest of it this time. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That right there is the big point tonight. God spoke in many ways before, but now he has spoken to us in Jesus. Jesus is how God guides us today. You see, Jesus perfectly reveals God because he is God. And so now we actually find ourselves at the climax of history, the last days, Hebrews chapter 1 calls it. Because everything that needed to be revealed about God has now been revealed in Jesus. And so John chapter 14, verse 9, at the top of page 12, Jesus says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You see, in the past, we've got bits of the puzzles, but now in Jesus, we've got it in 4K. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation of himself. Jesus is the most important thing you can ever know. In Jesus, we see who God is, we see what his plans are, and we see what he wants from us. Now, maybe you already knew some of that, but have you ever joined the dots between that and guidance? How do you decide whether you should live in Bankstown or the Central Coast? God speaks to us through Jesus. That's how you work it out. You see, the better you understand Jesus, the better you understand the gospel, the better you will make that decision. Now, do you see how those things fit together? It's okay if you don't, because that's the rest of the talk. So here we go. How do those things fit together? How does God speak to us in Jesus? There's the first part of the question. How does Jesus speak to me? You see he's not here, well he is but he's here by his spirit but I can't see him. Well point number four, actually this is the second point number four if you've been paying attention. But page 10, the second point number four, Jesus speaks to us today through his spirit in the gospel and in the scriptures. Jesus speaks through his Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit was the hope of the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, the minor prophet Joel. And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. You see, in the Old Testament, not everyone had the Spirit in the way that we have the Spirit today. Prophets, kings, but not everyone. God promised that in the last days, all of God's people would have God's Spirit. And so you can see that promise as well in Ezekiel chapter 36 at the bottom of page 12. Verse 27, And I will put my Spirit in you. God promises to give all God's people the Holy Spirit. And now with Jesus, that hope is fulfilled. So page 13, you see in John chapter 16... Jesus talking to his disciples, he's going to leave them, he says in verse 5. I'm going to leave you and go into heaven. And so how will Jesus continue to speak to his disciples once he's gone? Well, he says in verse 7, very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. How can that be? It's for your good that I'm going away, says Jesus. Well, he says, unless I go away, the advocate, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the advocate Will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. See that verse 7? So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then verse 12, look down at verse 12. I've got much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Do you see there that Jesus is saying that he's got a lot more to tell his disciples, but they can't bear it? So when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will guide them into all truth. Now what this means is that the Spirit is not a different guide on top of Jesus. It's not two different guides, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's one. God's definitive word, Jesus, brought to you by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, still in John chapter 16, verse 13. But he, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. Into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus says, The Spirit, verse 14, will glorify me, the, Jesus, the Spirit will glorify Jesus because it's from me, says Jesus, that he will receive what he will make known to you. Now, this is really important. The Holy Spirit does not say something different to Jesus. He speaks what he receives from Jesus. In fact, did you notice there, verse 14, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus' cheerleader. He's there with a big J on his chest, two big pom-poms saying, Jesus, Jesus, give me a J. See, how, how can you tell if a church is really a Holy Spirit church? Is it when they talk a lot about the Holy Spirit? No, 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 the sign of the Holy Spirit is that people are loving Jesus they're listening to Jesus they're believing in Jesus has the Holy Spirit been at work in Southwest Evangelical Church lately absolutely as you've learned about Jesus this year and grown in him the Holy Spirit has been at work as God has brought people to know him the Holy Spirit has been at work Jesus will say a similar thing again in chapter 14, verse 26. The Holy Spirit will remind people of what Jesus has said. Now guys, isn't this good news? God has not left us in the dark. He has sent us his son. And now his son Jesus speaks to us through the Holy Spirit he's given us. That's great news, isn't it? But it raises another question. How does the Holy Spirit speak? Does he use dreams or doors or voices? Well, the answer is through the gospel and through the scriptures. So point one there, or point A, through the gospel. Have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, bottom of page 13. And have a look at how God spoke to the Thessalonians. Verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, verse 5, because our gospel came to you. Not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. How did the Holy Spirit speak to the Thessalonians? Verse 5, it was through the gospel. Paul knew that God had chosen them because they listened to the gospel. The Holy Spirit powerfully worked through that gospel to open their minds and hearts so that they believed it and had deep conviction about it. So you see there, how does the Holy Spirit speak? In the message of Jesus. And so, guys, as we share the the message of Jesus with our friends, doesn't that feel powerless? Doesn't that feel pointless sometimes? But, guys, that is how the Holy Spirit speaks to people. He can use it to save them. And let's say one day you, you move and you need to find a new church. What is it that you'll look for? Will you look for one with other people that are like you? We you look for one with great music, great social programs or whatever? No, no, no. You look for the one that teaches the true gospel of Jesus. That is the one that the Holy Spirit will be at work in. That is the church that you could invite your neighbor and they could be saved, no matter how daggy it is. You don't get extra points for being more daggy. But you see, God works through the gospel. And so even if no one else there is your age even if it's not inspirational or it's no fun, you actually want more than that, don't you? You want a place that teaches the true gospel, which means you, you look for a place that's serious about the Bible because the Bible is the place the Spirit speaks today. So we're going to turn over the page, page 14. And we're going to see this in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Having a look at that little passage there, who was it that wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit did. Do you see he's talking about the prophecies of Scripture, and he says they didn't come about from prophets' own interpretation, but men spoke from God... As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. uh, Peter, as he writes that, he wants you to have confidence in the scriptures. He wants you to see that they are definitely God's words. It's not just someone's interpretation. No, they spoke from God. God sovereignly guided them by his spirit so that what they wrote was exactly what God wanted them to write. And so, on the one hand, it was written by Matthew. And Moses and Paul, and so on. And you can actually see their personalities if you pay attention. You can see Paul's energy and his passion, and you can see Luke's careful attention to detail. And yet, behind them, through those personalities, you can see Jesus there by his Spirit, carrying the writers along, making sure that what they wrote was exactly what Jesus wanted them to say. Now, if you're a thinker, you'll say, yes, 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 but that passage is Peter talking about the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, that's what happened with the New Testament as well. Just as Jesus promised, you remember. Jesus promised that the Spirit would remind his disciples of Jesus' teachings. And he did that and helped them to write the New Testament scriptures as well. And so have a look at 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 15. This is Peter writing. In verse 15, you can see he's writing about Paul's letters. Consider also... That our Lord's patience brings salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Then in verse 16, he says that Paul's letters are hard to understand. I find that relatable. But look at the end of verse 16. Peter puts Paul's writings in the category of Scripture. Look at this with me. Some parts of his letters are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction do you see what peter's doing there he's got a got a bookshelf labeled scriptures and he's picking up paul and putting it on that bookshelf peter puts paul's writing in the category of scriptures he says they, they twist paul like they do the other scriptures lumping them all together in, their, in paul's mind oh, sorry peter's mind they're all scriptures just like in the other scriptures, the spirit was at work in Paul so that what Paul wrote was exactly the words that God wanted him to write. And it's all exactly as Jesus promised that a spirit would do. Now I want to show you two other things about the, the Bible that we read. The first one there is in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Because what, if you look closely at this verse, you'll see that the Bible is not just what God said in the past... It's what God says today. Now, have a look closely at Hebrews 3.7. What you can see there is the writer is quoting from Psalm 95, which was written hundreds of years before Hebrews was written. So that's the quote there today if you hear his voice. That was a quote that was written long before Hebrews. But look how the writer of Hebrews introduces this quote from hundreds of years in the past. He doesn't just say, as the Holy Spirit said in the past. He writes, as the Holy Spirit says. The writer of Hebrews sees the Bible as the way the Holy Spirit continues to speak today, present tense. Not just what God said, but what God says. So, brothers and sisters, if you are a person who loves your Bible and listens to it, don't ever let someone tell you you're not a spirit Christian. Because what is the Bible? It's the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6 says. In fact, you can't be a spirit Christian without the Bible. We won't read it all now, but the final passage there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, shows us that the Spirit helps us understand the Bible. The Spirit helps us to understand spiritual things. And so listen to this. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. The Bible is the Holy Spirit speaking today present tense. And as we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is at work in us to illuminate it, to help us understand it. Do you see just how much of a Holy Spirit activity it is to read the Bible? It is so spiritual when we read the Bible. And so let's put it together. The way that Jesus speaks to us now is through his Spirit. And the way the Spirit speaks to us now is in the Bible. This book is how God guides us. So God spoke to us this morning clear as day as we read his word together. And he'll speak to you clear as a bell anytime you want him to. Just open it up. Now that might not seem supernatural enough to be exciting. I think in my Christian life there were times where I thought God would be far more spectacular than that. But I reckon as you mature as a Christian you begin to realise the privilege of having this book to hold in your hands words that won't vanish, the clear, understandable words of God. What a treasure. But I wonder if you're thinking, yeah, 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 that's good, I like that. But that's the easy bit, isn't it? You see, I know that the Bible says not to get drunk But it doesn't tell me which party to not get drunk at. I know the Bible says to marry a Christian. We'll see that tomorrow morning. But it doesn't say which Christian. There's no passage on when I should retire. You see, there's a gap, isn't there, between what the Bible talks about and then most of the actual specific decisions that we have to make. And it's the gap that's the difficult bit, isn't it? So what do we do about the questions that the Bible doesn't directly answer? Well, how's this? The Bible actually does promise that it's covered those questions as well. The Bible promises that it's covered those questions as well. Now, this is a big, big thing. If you get what I'm about to say, it will save you a lifetime of frustration. It is incredibly liberating. I think we're on page 15, point five. The Bible is everything you will ever need for guidance. Let me, let me prove this to you from the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You see, everything we've need, we need for a godly life, God has given to us. How does he do that? Well, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that, if you've got a pen, underline this, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you a servant of God? Do you want to be equipped to please God in your life for every good work God would ever want you to do? Well, what does it say? It says, Scripture teaches us and trains us so that we will be thoroughly equipped. Now, I like to go spearfishing. I haven't been very often lately. But oftentimes we'll drive quite a long way to a nice spot to go spearfishing And we get all our gear out of the the car and it's a big, pretty heavy tub because lots of different pieces of equipment. And I'll carry this big, heavy tub barefoot, a long way out across rocks to where we're going to jump in. Sharp, sharp rocks. And I'll get there and I'll realise I forgot to bring my spearfishing gun. (laughs) Or my mask, or my snorkel, or my flippers. It's happened to me a bunch of times. It so, happened to me so often that the guy I go spearfishing with, when we get out of the car, goes, have you, have you got... Like I'm a little kid. Is God a bit like that? Has God only partly equipped us to go live for him? No, no, no. He's given us all we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How's he done that, verse 16? Through the scriptures. All scripture is useful so that you will be thoroughly equipped. I just want you to stop and consider the scope of that. Every good work. Not just some, not just the big picture, every good work. There's no area of your life that Scripture is not the perfect guide for pleasing God in. Big things, little things, medium things, everything. Now the, the, the term for this is the sufficiency of Scripture. Sufficient means enough. Scripture is sufficient, it's everything you need to live for God, which means the Bible is everything you'll ever need for making decisions that please God. So how will God guide you in the specifics? The Bible. It equips you for every good work. Who should you marry? I've got a list, come and ask me later. No, no, no. The Bible. The Bible has everything you need to be equipped for that good work. What job should you take? The Bible has everything you need to be equipped for that good work. How should you tie your shoelace? Even there, if there's something that God cares about in that process, the Bible will tell you. You say, no, it doesn't. It doesn't tell me where I should live. I mean, there are maps at the back, but... (laughs) Gee, I hope that's not God telling me where I should live. It looks a lot like a desert. The Bible doesn't tell you whether to buy a Toyota or a Mazda. It doesn't tell you who to be friends with. Do you know what that means, brothers and sisters? It means that God has decided that he doesn't need to tell you that. If he did, he would have put it in the Bible. And I wonder if you, if you realise this is actually a fantastic way that God has made it clear to us which parts of the decision matter most to him. In fact, this morning we saw that maturity is learning to care about the things that God cares about. Well, here's how God tells you. What he cares about, it's the stuff he talks about. This has everything we need to know. And so if the Bible doesn't tell me something, then obviously that's actually not the most important part of the decision. They're not the bits you need to know in order to please God in that decision. One of the mistakes that Christians sometimes make is they can think that God wants to tell me His specific will for every little decision of my life. He hasn't promised to do that. God does have a specific will for those decisions. He loves you. He he does care about the details. He will work out that plan because he's in control. It will happen. We saw that this morning. But you don't need to know his plan. You just need to know the bits that are most important to him as you make your decisions. And then you trust him with the rest. Let me say this a different way do you see the three different types of guidance in your notes sovereign will moral will special will god's invisible guidance god's visible guidance god's personal guidance sometimes we can think that to please god we can't please him we'll we'll accidentally disobey him unless we discover his special will for every decision it's not enough just to know his moral will his commands his teachings in the bible you also need to discover that extra little bit that that particular will about this decision That's not right. The sufficiency of Scripture means that if you know God's moral will, if you know what he said in the Bible, then you know everything you need to know to make that decision in a way that pleases God. In uh, this book, Just Do Something, Kevin DeYoung says, Our fascination with the will of God really shows our lack of trust in the provision of God. We want God's word that He will tell us what to do rather than His word that He will be with us no matter what we do. We need to trust that He holds the future, not that He will tell us the future. You see, that's why God doesn't normally give us special messages about what to do, because that would actually stunt our growth. Do you remember what God's goal for us was that we saw this morning? To grow us, to be more like Jesus. Well, if God constantly spoke in your ear, don't touch that, stop, wrong job, cancel that, dump her. If God was was constantly doing that, you wouldn't have to get holy. You wouldn't have to have your mind transformed by the word of God, Romans 12. You wouldn't have to have your desires transformed by the, the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. You know, sometimes people talk about the Spirit's leading, But if you were to go to Galatians chapter 5 where Paul does talk about the Spirit's leading what you find there is that the Spirit leads us into godliness not into a particular job. One of the most wonderful things about God's plan for you is that he wants you to stop being a baby who can't think for yourself. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to learn to see the world the way he sees the world. Some of you have met my daughters, I've got a four-year-old who's been a bit sick today and spent most of the day in bed. So you might not have seen her, Talia, and I've got a three-year-old um, who you probably saw running around because she's, she's a tornado. Now, I really love having little kids and I love the fact that they need my help to cross the road and if I need to help them drink their baby Chino or it's going to go all over them. It's beautiful. But when they're 21, if they call me 150 times a day to ask what they should do next... How do you think I'll feel as a parent? I'll feel like I've failed. Because one of my goals as a parent is to see my kids come to maturity, where they understand the world rightly because I've taught them so well so that they're able to make decisions that are wise and that I'm proud of. That's what God wants for you. You see, the Christian that's constantly waiting for God to give them a special message on what job to take it can actually seem, it can seem quite spiritual, can't it? They're praying every night, God, tell me what I should do. But is it? Is it, a really, is it really a sign of maturity? Perhaps not. You see, if my kids were asking me 100 times a day what to do when they're 30 years old, I wouldn't call it maturity. Our Father wants us to learn, to grow up, to see the world the way he sees Him, sees it and to make him proud Now, don't hear me saying not to pray. Prayer is obviously good. And actually, maybe the person who's a little bit misguided on guidance but loves to pray, maybe that is actually more mature than a person who's got their thoughts right on guidance but doesn't talk to God. Don't hear me bend down on praying. Pray. But do you see, it changes what you pray for. You don't pray for the answer just to land in your lap. You know, we don't say, God, give me a shortcut. Just tell me what to do. We pray, God, teach me to think the way you think. Show me in the Bible what it is you care about so that I can make this decision in a way that pleases you. If there's sin in my life, show it to me. Help me to repent so that I can have a, a heart that wants what you want. That's what God wants for us, isn't it? Let me um, we'll, we'll take a break in just a moment, but let me just finish with um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, at the bottom of page 15 because I think it brings it together quite nicely, what we've seen so far. What's God's will for you? Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That word means to be made holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honourable, not impassionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Here you go. I can tell you right now, God's will for your life, your sanctification. Be made holy. There it is, saved you a lot of trouble. God wants you to get holy, to be spiritually mature. And that's why he's given you all the information you need to make real decisions that please him. And the really great thing is... In doing that, he's also told you which bits of your decisions matter most to him. What are his concerns? What are his questions? It's all the stuff that he talks about. Now, what do we actually do in practice? I'll pop back up in a bit to give a much shorter part of the the, the second session after we, we take a break.